with the first church. Last week. That's it. They lost their first love. Every Sunday we have to have a question. See if see if we're awake. He they lost their first love. It was um, uh, the law. The law. They lost their passion. Can you kind of look around today in Christianity at large and see that perhaps there's a lost passion? You know, we have changed things for. We have changed things for programs. Programs have taken the place of passion. You know, if you say, okay, now we're going to have a program of prayer and we're going to show up at 8 o'clock and we're not going to leave until about 1 a.m. How many would come? I think if I gave you this message, you'd probably say, okay, I'll come. But, you know, I don't... I don't know, you get a little older and you start remembering things, you know, of the past. You forget today, but can't find your keys. But you remember those things of the past. And I remember as a child, I always thought to myself, oh, this is Thursday. That means we're going to church and we're going to prayer meeting. And I better get my coloring book together because we're going to be there a long time. And then as I got older, I learned that the importance of that. And uh, there's a lot of prayers that have gone on before us and our parents and grandparents and those who have paved the way for us to have the liberty and the freedom that we have today. We give a lot of thought to our military and we're thankful, thankful, thankful for our military. But we need to be thankful for those prayer warriors that uh, stood before us. And so I, I don't forget that. But I think that the church at large has lost its passion for uh, prayer. And I know that there are, we have prayer meeting here on Tuesdays. I know that you pray in your homes. And I know we have prayer warriors in the church. And I'm so grateful for that because I believe that's why our church still stands. That when there is no church, there is still money to operate that is the that's the prayers that have gone on for the cause of the kingdom. So today, let us not lose sight of this book of Revelation. So many there's usually two reasons why people either read it or don't read it. One, they read it because they want to see the mysteries and they want to try to figure it out. They don't read it because they want to see what it is that God is truly saying to the church. The second reason that is that they don't want to read it because they don't understand the, the symbols and things. And I'll tell you right now, I don't understand all those things. But what I do understand, I believe, is powerful and important. So I, I don't want us to lose sight of the power of revelation. You know, God is sending Jesus to show us the things which must shortly come to pass. That's the word of the Lord. So there's some some buzzwords there uh, shortly you know we we lived our whole life and to me it doesn't seem too short too short because i've been thinking about jesus coming since i was a young child but to god you know his time is perfect and uh 10 days to god is maybe ten thousand. who knows god god's uh calendar so i want us to 
to meditate just for a moment and think about the power of the book of Revelation. Because there's 66 books in the Bible, and this is the only book where God says he will bless you if you will read it. So it's important that we see that there is a blessing with what we're doing here in church at this time as we study. Because God wants to to tell us that the time is at hand. Always God's time is at hand. And especially today. And I think every one of us could say we see the signs of the coming of the Lord. We see what is prevalent today that would point us to the book of Revelation. And so when he says, I'm going to show you these things which shortly must come to pass, we might be beginning to see these things. And he says that the time is at hand. In chapter 1, we have the eternal promise. And I'm going to just remind you again that we need to stir up our love. We need to stir up our passion. We need to be more mindful that God is looking for love and passion in our heart toward him. Because this is the eternal promise in Revelation 1-7. So you can just open your Bible to Revelation. That's where we'll be most of the time today. Verse 7 says, Behold, he cometh in clouds. His time is at hand. He's going to show us these things which shall shortly come to pass. And then he says, He comes in the clouds and every eye shall see him. I mean, that is of magnitude right there. Every eye shall see him. Good, bad, indifferent. And then he goes on to say that those that pierced him, the Jews will see him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. And then the Spirit of the Lord says, even so, come quickly. Amen. As we enter the book of Revelation, once more today, the time is at hand, and we're entering into the book, into the church of Smyrna. And God's timing is perfect, church, just that he would give me the thought to minister this at this time. And, and you know, I've, I've taught it for years, but, you know, after a while, you kind of forget those things. And then as I come back to it, especially in this season, I see how prominent this passage, these passages, scriptures are for today. So first, God wants us to renew our love. We looked at that last week. He wants us to strengthen our love. And he tells us that, you know, when he says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. I think that we love him with all of our heart, but I think sometimes our mind and our spirit and our strength and our soul and all those things forget to have that passion that God is looking for. So that's first. Second, we're going to look today at Myrna, and I believe the statement that he wants us to see in this church is, fear none of these things. How many know that our world is fearful? And they are running fear, fear in fear. You can sit outside Walmart and you can watch and you can see they're scurrying, they're hurrying, they're rushing. And maybe they're all by themselves in the car and there's nobody in line, but they got their mask on. And they're, they're, there's a fear that is gripping our world today. And, and here the word of God says to the church, fear none of these things. So as we explore Smyrna, it's a rich city in Turkey back then. Today it's got a name which I hope I pronounce right. It's called Izmar. 
and it's about 50 miles from Ephesus, and it's on the Asian Sea. So it's not so far. Ephesus there is losing its first love. Smyrna has a problem here with great fear and anxiety. And there's a reason why Smyrna has experience in this fear. And each church will be reminded that the time is at hand, that things are shortly coming to pass. And as we look at Smyrna, we will see why. Because the Spirit of the Lord is speaking and admonishing because he's preparing us for his coming. Are we ready? Are we ready for the coming of the Lord? The Bible says that not everyone that says, I'm ready, is ready. So, you know, why we're here in the book of Revelation is just to to reaffirm our readiness, that we want to be ready, that we want to have love for God, that, that we want to fear not these things that's going on, but we want to stand firm and strong. And at Smyrna, there's no reprimand. But you know that in the first book, in Ephesus, there was a reprim- God reprimanded them. And there's seven churches, and only two escaped the reprimand of God. This church escaped it because this is probably one of the hardest things. Well, there's a couple other churches that has great difficulties. But this church, it has got the seat of Satan in it. The synagogue of Satan is residing in this church. And we see that in the world today. We see that Satan is attacking God's church, and he's attacking God's people, and he's attacking the very doctrines that we believe. And so I want you to understand and know this, that God has Jesus reveal himself to the church with great purpose. And the purpose to this church, the church at Smyrna, is he reveals himself as the first and the last, and he that was dead and is alive. So there's deadness in the churches today, but Jesus is still alive. And he reveals himself to them. And I love it when he reveals himself to me and he says, I am the first and the last. I'm the alpha and the omega, and I'm the beginning and the end. We heard that in Sunday school today when, it, when the God spoke to Samuel. He says, what I begin, I will end. And so, you know, we all are concerned about our end, some of us are. And we need to leave that in the hands of God because he's the beginning and the end. And he was a dead and he's alive. And isn't it great to serve a risen Savior? He is risen. You know, he is our resurrected Lord. And we must know this in this book, in this church. Know that the Lord always sees the work that we do for him. He sees our witness that we have for him. He sees the good and the right things that we accomplish. We must never forget he sees our tribulation too. Not only does he see all the good things that we do, he doesn't see the things that wherein we stand fast for him, wherein we go through troubled times and difficult times. He sees it. He sees everything. Sometimes we forget that God is all-seeing, omnipotent, all-powerful, and he's looking at our lives. So he sees these things, and we must never forget that, that not only does he see the good things, he sees the hardship that we go through. Sometimes we just suffer before the Lord and we grieve and we cry, and the Lord sees that. And there's purpose for it. I don't know the purpose for your life. I know the purpose in some of the things that I've gone through in my life. I can look back and see that if I hadn't gone through those tribulate, troubled times, I wouldn't be 
where I am today, serving God the way I am. So I'm thankful for those things. Revelation 2, chapter 9, uh, verse 9. <laughs> Revelation 2, chapter, verse 9. He says, I know thy works, and thy tribulation, thy poverty, and thou art rich. First of all, he says, I know. Know is a relative term which means intimate. He knows us. He knows our beginning. He knows our end. He knows what transpires in our life. He knows when we're good. He knows when we're bad, and he's not Santa Claus. He's our risen Savior. He knows these things. We need to be reminded that he knows those things. We need to be reminded that we need that kind of an intimate relationship with him that he can look into our life and he can know the very essence of our heart so he knows when we have works he knows when we have tribulation and sometimes when we have poverty sometimes we're worried about finances sometimes those are things that are fearful especially in this season in which we're living but he says you know you're rich how many think you're rich well we're not rich in monetary things maybe but we're rich in mercy We're rich in grace. We're rich in forgiveness. We're rich in a Father who loves us and walks with us no matter where we are or what circumstances in our life. We're rich in the spiritual things. And we need to look at ourselves more wealthy. Our wealth is in spiritual matters and not in the things of this world. He speaks to each church in this fashion. Each church he wants to know that there is an intimate relationship. And he says, I know your works. I know who you are. I know where you're at. I know what you're going through. He wants to impress upon us a depth of conviction that he is intimately acquainted with all that, that there has happened in our life, whether it's been good or bad, because he has got purpose for everything that transpires in our life. You know, I know... That he opens his heart to us. Sometimes it's hard for us to open our heart to him. Or open our heart to one another. Or open our heart to what it is he calls us to do. But he opens his heart to us. That's why he suffered and bled and died for us. The prophets declared this. Jeremiah 11.20 says, O Lord of hosts, thou judgest righteously. Thou triest the reins and thy heart. I want us to take this into depth of our heart today that when we walk away and we walk to our car and we realize that God is walking with us, you know, that nothing is going to transpire in our life but what he isn't with us. The prophets knew this. 1 Samuel 16, he says, The Lord looketh on the heart. We have a tendency to look on one another on the outside, but God looks upon the sincerity of our heart. In 1 Kings 8, he says, Hear thou from heaven, and forgive, and give to every man according to his ways, whose heart thou knowest. For even for even thou dost know the hearts of all the children of men. So it's not just me saying this, but it's the word of God that he knows our hearts. He has relationship with us if we will open our heart to him. The word of God says in verse 9, I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. 
demonic powers were operating in their church. They were saying they were Jews. They were saying they were a part of what was happening in that day. They were a part of maybe serving Christ, you know, when he was there on earth. But they were blaspheming. And I think we should stop for a moment there to understand blaspheming is a terrible comment for Christ to say to them. There had to be sore trouble in that church for him to say that to them. It shows contempt. It shows lack of reverence for God. We have that in our earth today. We have that even in the church world. There is a lack of of reverence for God, a lack of reverence for his word, for the for the power of his instructions to the church. To blaspheme towards someone is to blaspheme against the sacredness of who God is, especially to if you, it's blasphemed against God. Now, the Bible tells us that it can be done against Christ, but it cannot be done against the Holy Spirit. And some people have often said, what does it mean to blaspheme against God? Because you cannot be forgiven for that. The thing is, is if one rejects Christ, then he's rejecting the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit that draws us to salvation. So if we reject that drawing of the Holy Spirit, we blaspheme. And as long as we reject salvation, we are in a place where we cannot receive eternal life and it's important that jesus would have to say that to the church that they that they did not see the sacredness of god they did not see the sacredness of who he was you know in the old days we understood holiness we understood that god was holy we understood that he looked at us what how we acted how we what we talked how how if we uh, wore things that was displeasing to him. We understood all those things in my youth. We understood that, you know. But today it isn't there. There is no reference. We we don't understand the holiness of God that when we come into his house, that his house is holy, that everything about him is holy. And so to blaspheme means to reject the Holy Spirit, to reject the salvation that the Holy Spirit offers, and we need to we need to be reminded of that. Leviticus twenty four sixteen it says, "He that blasphemeth the name of the Lord, he shall surely be put to death, and the stranger that blasphemes the name of the Lord shall be put to death." Are you glad that we're not in the Old Testament? Aren't we glad that we're in the New Testament? How many times in our, your life, maybe over the span of our life? that things have gone wrong and we've worried and we've fretted and we've asked God, why is this happening in my life? Why why is this going on? And we and we kind of turn our head away toward the wall and just grieve because we understand, we feel that God has left us. But the blaspheming is that we reject Jesus Christ. So Exodus 22, 8 says, Thou shalt not revile nor curse the ruler of thy people. Deuteronomy 5.11 says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh the name in vain. When the world uses Christ's name, they use it because it is the name above all names. They use it because they want to say the most powerful thing they can say to insult or to hurt. 
and God is listening. But thank God there is grace and mercy in the New Testament. So God is speaking to this church, and he tells the church, he says, I know those that blaspheme in the church. The synagogue of Satan is even there. And don't we see that in the world today? Humanity is so quick to take the Lord's name in vain, and they're going to suffer for doing that. So to be against God is one thing. He sent his son, the power of the Holy Spirit, if we reject the wooing of the Holy Spirit, that is to blaspheme. Matthew 12:32 says, Whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, that be Jesus, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in the world or in the world to come. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God that he forgives. Thank God that we have him. Jesus is speaking such powerful truths to the church today. Is the Holy Spirit speaking in our lives? And he wants us to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Now, if we have not rejected the Holy Spirit, if we receive Christ, we're not blaspheming. But we need to watch the ways that we treat the sacredness of our God. Jesus walks in the midst of the church to 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 warn the church that he's coming back. And he's looking at our life. And he's wanting us to make ready. The reason he's speaking these things to the church is because the church is his body. And he wants his body to be perfected so that it can have eternal life. The church of Smyrna was under attack, as Jesus tells them. Verse 10, he says, Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. I want the church to hear that. There's suffering in the body of Christ. Physical, mental, spiritual, trouble. They're suffering in the body of Christ. But he said, don't fear these things which thou shalt suffer. The devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. Some of us are tried and we're not in prison, thank God. There's a trying of the saints without being in prison. But, you know, we get letters every day. We have almost 8,000 prisoners and we get letters every day, and, so, and they say, many times they say they are not guilty. And I never poo-poo that. I never go like, well, everybody in prison thinks they're not guilty. But I always remember this scripture. Some are cast into prison for a purpose. Maybe they were guilty. Maybe they should have been there. But God is going to use that for his purpose. We have ministers on death row that are given liberty to minister to those that are going to go into the death chamber. And they've been on death row for 10 years, and God's just been keeping them there so that they can minister healing and salvation before their life is taken. So God is speaking to the church in this day, and he's saying, you know, some of you may be tried, some of you may be in tribulation, some of you may be cast into prison. And this is a a very theological discussion in this one phrase that says, And some of you will suffer these ten days. And the theologians have discussed that forever. What are the ten days? Well, i got to tell you, ten days with God is like 10,000 years. I I have no understanding exactly what God means when he says that. 
But he says there will be suffering, church. And sometimes when you go through a trial or tribulation, you do think that it's more than 10 days. But God is saying to them, you know that there is going to be trouble in the last days. Our salvation doesn't keep us from trouble. Our salvation teaches us to have faith and to have trust and to be strong and to stand for the reverence of God. God is looking for faithfulness in our suffering. I believe this is why he didn't reprimand the church of Smyrna, Smyrna, because he said, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He had found them faithful. He had found them enduring, even though there was a crisis in the church. Can you imagine what it's like for a church to have satanic forces interjecting in it? I remember one time when we had a service. I don't know if it was a Sunday or Sunday night, but there was a whole row of Satanists came in and filled a whole row. They had all the signs of the tattoos and all the signs of it. And one of our former students who was wanting to bring a salvation to them brought them to church. And there was, there was a little bit of fear in the church when all these strange people came in. You know how, how they look. They're, 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 they had darkness and they had black fingernails. These, are, these were three men and one woman plus the lady that was bringing them for salvation. And, and I just tell you something, church. That makes your skin crawl when you realize that there are people who serve Satan. And the Lord speaks to this church at Smyrna, and he said, you know, you've endured this. You've been faithful in this. And so he didn't reprimand them for any of their laziness because or anything that was going on because they had had a fill of satanic forces coming against them. Do you know that the church of Jesus Christ today is being attacked? And we don't know what is going to come down the road towards us in our government wrong people get into government you know they already have passed laws that are demonic so we need to be mindful of these things that are coming up on the church for the time is at hand for these things must shortly come to pass let us hear what the spirit of the lord is saying to us god is looking for faithfulness in suffering He's looking for faithfulness in prison. He's looking for faithfulness in troubled times. He says, I know thy works. I know thy tribulation. I know thy poverty, but you're rich. You're rich. Sometimes we think we're in poverty because we don't have what we want. Because our bucket list hasn't been fulfilled. And we think, oh, if I just had more monies, I could do more. In the midst of hardship, Jesus knows there is lack. He knows that there's poverty. But when there's lack, he says, you are rich. You are rich in him. Richness in him. I think it would make a big difference in our spiritual life if we start thinking that we were wealthy in Christ. That we weren't in poverty and that we didn't have lack. But that we are wealthy in Christ. Our salvation brings wealth to our life. This church was faithful. They endured Satan's attacks. 
God is expecting us in this day to endure the attacks of the satanic forces that's moving in our world. Fear none of these things. Fear none of these things. He's saying it to the church today loud and bold. They were faithful in being tried. Has anybody here not been tried? See, you, you know, that's wonderful because we are faithful when we're tried. We're faithful when we're suffering. We're faithful when things aren't going the way we want them to. We're still faithful. We're still here. We're still in his house. We still have a heart to worship. We're faithful. The trying of your faith worketh patience. Now, I always think that's just patient for everydayness of life, but it says as, as we wait for Jesus, we need patience because we're waiting for him. I hear people saying, well, I wish Jesus would hurry up. I wish the Lord would come. We hear those kinds of things, but God is expecting us to be patient, to walk through the tribulation, to walk through those things, that to be patient for his coming, to endure, to be faithful. We know these things, but when trouble knocks at our door, we need to be reminded that God sees everything and he sees trouble standing at our door and he's going to take us through and he's never going to forsake us. He says, I'll never leave you or I'll never forsake you. Well, Smyrna was not rebuked by the Lord. You know, I think it's because of the dynamic activity that there was in the church. And I'm thankful that God keeps us away from those kinds of things. But Jesus uses strong words to the church. You know, he says, I know those that blaspheme. I know those that say they're one thing and they're not that. And he speaks to the church this powerful thing that we need to be mindful of. There are many professions in the church at large today. There are, there are many things going on about God and about doctrines and about those things in the church world today. There are Satanists in the church. So we need to be mindful that he says to the church, fear none of these things. What things, church? What things? The devil might cast you into prison. You know, we as handmaidens, we have vows that says if they take me to prison, I will not complain. And when we took them, we cried because to say that if we are imprisoned, we will not complain. And we had a handmaiden that was thrown in prison, but I'm sorry, she complained. We cannot complain. I find myself complaining a lot about just little idiosyncrasies, you know. I like to hear you're with me. You know, but we don't want that to fall, to roll over into our spiritual life. Because we need to have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And in, in this verse 10, he says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. We have no understanding what the crown of life is. I know that we are going to get crowns to lay at Jesus' feet. You know, but there's so much more that Jesus is saying here when he says, Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give you a crown of life. There's so, so much more that he's saying. We, we just see a crown, and we see life, you know, basking through the clouds or whatever. 
but a crown of life is something exceedingly sincere that God is going to give to someone who has faithfully overcome the trials and the tribulations in their life, who has been grieved over circumstances and have have waited on God to be revealing his presence in whatever we're going through. And that crown of life is so much more than something material. It's so much more than something in the spirit that he's going to give to us. So today as I come to a close, he that has an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith to the church. You know, continue in your faithfulness to God. Continue in this day that none of these things. I'm sure that there's Christians that have come under the gun of this nasty COVID-19. But i got to tell you this of a truth that the Lord will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And whatever he does is good and right and just and he will use it for his glory. You know, it's something to have a sickness and it's something to be made well. It's a glorification that God wants to do in our life. What does faithfulness mean, church? Just let me close with this thought. What does faithfulness mean? Does it mean you just show up to church every Sunday? What does it mean? It means something so much more. It means that when you're accosted by the things of darkness, that you stand fast, that you're faithful to God. You're faithful to say, I'm a born-again believing Christian. You're faithful to say, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. You're faithful to say, you know, I'm sanctified. You're faithful to say to someone who exhibits satanic force against you that you can stand firm in the face of it. Faithfulness means you search the word of God. It means that you faithfully love God in every circumstance of your life. It means that you do what God requires you to do. And the only way we know how to do what he requires is to know his word. We need more word in this last hour. Faithful means to give unto him what he requires. You don't you won't know what he requires unless you read his word. And that means the Old Testament too. You have to be faithful to pursue his holiness. Holiness and sacredness is gone from the church of Jesus Christ. Now, holiness is not the bun they wear on their hair. Holiness is what is in their heart. What is in their heart. Where God sees it and nobody else sees it. That's where holiness is. That you're faithful in trouble. That even if you're attacked by satanic forces, you are faithful. We always have to focus on the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. So the first church lost their passion and their love. This church said none of these things. Fear none of these things. Thank you, Jesus, for the power of your word. Lord, that you give to us just at the moment that we need it. Help us, O God, to strengthen our love. Help us to stand firm without fear in this generation. 
Father God, we thank you for your healing touch as you walk in the midst of the church today to heal not only our bodies, but, Father, our hearts and our minds and our souls. We give you praise for the power of your word. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Bring your offerings and your tithes to the Lord.